Welcome, listeners, to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. My guest on today's podcast joining me via Zoom is Dr. Susan Madsen. Welcome to the podcast. Great to be here. Thanks for the invitation. Um, Dr. Madsen is someone that I've been reading about in the last half hours prepared for this podcast, and um, she is somebody that is doing wonderful work in many circles in the LDS faith in, in Utah and beyond. And I'll just read her bio so you know who we're talking to. Dr. Susan Madsen is the inaugural Karen Haight Huntsman Endowed Professor of Leadership at the John M. Huntsman School of Business at Utah State University. She is also the founding director of the Utah Woman in Leadership Project, which focuses on strengthening the impact of Utah girls and women through increasing college completion rates and helping girls and women find their voices and become leaders. Professor Madsen and her team have written many, use, many use Utah research and policy briefs, research snapshots, and impact reports, and other resources. And I'll link to the full bio in the podcast description. Um, Professor Madsen has done several interviews today already. Um, so she is somebody that's working in a lot of circles to improve the voices of women in particular, and just all people in general. We're going to talk about a book that she has written. That's the kind of the focus of the podcast. It's an LDS theme book. It's called A Future Only God Can See for You, A Guide for Teen and Young Adult Women on Preparing to Lead. I love that title, and I'll read the description of that, listeners. Our heavenly parents need you to know now more than ever to prepare to step forward and lead in your homes, congregations, communities, and beyond. They know each of you perfectly and have reserved you to come to earth at this specific time in this history of the world. They knew the stakes would be higher and the opposition more intense than ever before, yet they chose you. This book is about preparing women, specifically teens and young adults, to become leaders. No matter where you are on life's path, it will motivate you, educate, challenge, and prepare you forward in your journey to influence in righteous ways. Um, and then I'm aware of um, um, the group that you're, I think, leading, a moving, moving Mountains for Utah Women, Utah Women Leadership Project. And I'm looking at the website. We'll link to that also, listeners, just some of the different research that you've done in reports. And one that's dated December 2nd, Women's Equality in Utah, Why you, Utah is Ranked the Worst State and What Can Be Done. So I'm aware of that headline. I'm aware of your work there. And I love looking inward and seeing what can we do better. And as a man, what blind spots do I have that have sort of culturally brought me that potentially mute the voices and skills and ability of women in my life? And what can we do better? So is that, is that okay for an introduction? Oh, I love it. Thank you. Um, tell us about just... I'd love you just to introduce, I've kind of introduced you to the listeners, but I'd love you just to introduce yourself to the listeners. If you were just sitting down to lunch and just introducing yourself. That's great. So um, I, I won't talk too much about my early life, but we'll, we'll just mention a couple of things. I was actually raised as a member of the church. My dad was a seminary and institute teacher. And so I come from a very traditional background. I'm very active in the church still. Never expected, however, to 
work and do professional work, always knew that I was uh, supposed to because of my patriarchal blessing and other things that I needed to get an education. And so, by the way, I was raised with six brothers and no sisters. Wow. So I have a lot of brothers. Um, One was just released from being a state president, another's a bishop, all very active in the church, all came from a very traditional upbringing. And I still feel like I'm fairly traditional in in some ways, but I'm definitely not in the box, what I call in my book, in the box, because we all have these boxes of like the good or ideal Latter-day Saint woman does this and this and this. And those are dangerous boxes is what I found uh, through the years. Um, But it's interesting um, that I I really came from just having brothers. And then I feel so called and started feeling called even between, I had two kids. So I got, went on a mission too. I served a mission, then taught at the MTC And then really kind of fought getting married, I have to say, because I had so many, I have a really busy mind and I had so many things that I I felt like I wanted to do. I wanted to get a master's and do all of these things. Yet, um, you know, when the Lord tells you pretty strongly (laughs) that you need to do something, you obey. So I, I... I did have to get some profound revelation to to uh, know that it was time to get married. I was almost 24 at the time, so it wasn't like I was, you know, really young. Um, and then, you know, just finished degrees, had two kids, finished my master's in between, then two more kids. And then when my children were three to 11, that's when we lived in Minnesota at the time, and and uh, started my doctoral work and really felt called to do the work that I, to to go. I didn't know, Richard, I really didn't plan to work for pay. You know, all of us work all the time, especially women (laughs) without pay. I hate to use that word, go to work. Yeah, we're all working all the time. Um, But just, you know, followed that path and um, really ended up going in some different directions. I remember when I I finished teaching junior high, a couple of weeks later, I had my first child. And honestly, I'm very vulnerable. So I'll just tell you that um, I just thought magically I would love to cook and sew (laughs) and change diapers. And all of a sudden, I stayed home and I had two kids pretty quick. But I, I went into what I call a situational depression for a couple of years and uh, really, um, really struggled just even like it wasn't exciting. I remember crying one day and calling my mom and I said, where is the joy? Like, I'm not seeing it. And, and she said something that I'll never forget. She said, it's in the moments. Pay attention to the moments, and that is your phase right now where you'll find your joy and just hang in there. So um, by the time I, I did kind of we moved around and did my education, by the time I was in my doctoral work, again, I had four pretty young children, uh, three to to 11. I still coached soccer. The moms liked me to coach. So I just show up and coach wherever I was uh, with different kids, um, but was able to, to go through my doctoral work. And by the time I finished that, my husband and I early thought, uh, maybe, maybe I'm not going to be in that box of, 
because my mind needs more to do. I have to check things off a list. My mind, just my heart. I use that term a lot, the head, heart, and hands. My mind, you know, think about where your mind is at, what you love to think about, what you love to to think about when you wake up in the morning. And then your heart, how do you feel? What do you feel? What, what makes your heart leap? What is the spirit telling you? And then your hands, what do you like to do? And when we looked at that, actually going back to my couple of years in depression, we moved, my husband got done with a couple of masters. We moved to Portland, Oregon. And um, immediately I started back into an in a weekend class at Portland State University in Portland, Oregon. And after two days of the whole one credit was two days, I came back and I started just talking to my husband, like so excited. I was shaking. I was so excited about what I was learning. And he, he cried. He said, you're back. I was just kind of gone. And then I was back. And we knew at that point that, that I was going to need to keep busy, whether it was in school, whether I was working part-time, that my life might not look like any other woman that I had ever seen. That's cool. But it wasn't, I'll just, I'll say this. I say this just occasionally, but I'll say this for, for you, Richard. <laughs> what I decided is that um, if I would have tried to keep myself in this box, that I would have had to be heavily medicated my whole life (laughs) because trying to keep my mind um, down, you know, and, and all these things I wanted to do. And uh, honestly, I think I fought that I was raised so traditionally. I fought that for a lot of years and I was really hard, hard on myself. And I begged the Lord many times to change me into a person that was right for him and in the box. And what I realized after many years is that he didn't make me wrong. He just, he made me right, but, but the right was not, it may not have looked like any other person that I knew who was a member of the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. So, um, and, and, you know, I'm probably giving you too much information at this point, but but I, I really started um, after my youngest was in six or was six years old. We moved to Utah and I I ended up starting. I didn't think I would be working full time, but the flexibility of a professor position was really attractive to me. And I and there was a perfect opening started in a, at UVU, uh, Utah Valley University about 20 years ago. And just loved it, loved the work, loved, I've shifted now to Utah State University. It's, it's such a good institution for statewide work that I do with my Utah women in leadership, and they're providing so much support. And I partner closely with Utah Valley University. But uh, through the years, I've just felt this pull towards women and girls work. Even in my master's in exercise physiology, it was women's wellness and stress management and nutrition for women and, you know, uh, exercise, pregnancy and exercise for women. And even though I was raised with six brothers, I've felt that pull and really, really about 18 years ago started down the track of doing my main scholarly research on women and leadership and women women's uh, issues. And then about 12, 13 years ago, was asked by the Commissioner of Higher Education in the Governor's Office in Utah to do some research on why 
more women weren't going to college and it was supposed to be a one or two year project. And almost 13 years later, um, still working on that and I've just kind of let in. I kept saying, I want to finish this and move to something else because I'm a busy person and uh, in my mind. And and um, and then a number of years ago, just said, this is one of my calls. This is one of my callings and I need to do that. So that's a little bit of a history there uh, randomly, but hopefully that that gave your listeners some some context. I'm really glad you shared that history. I don't know if I call you Dr. Madsen or Susan. I'll kind of go Susan's back. Susan's good. Professor. Let's do Susan and Richard. Okay. <laughs> but um, I think your story creates vision. I love um, people's stories that create vision and other people that need vision. And there's parts of your story as a father. I'm thinking of we have kids the same age. We All of them, my wife and I's kids are in the 20s, and they sometimes need vision of people that are not in the box. And they don't feel like they're in the box and they feel like their life plan is a little different than the box is sort of wanting them to follow. And often they don't have role models further down the road, but they have principles that can sometimes guide them. And so um, that's the part of your story that I get really tenderhearted and particularly for women coming out of a YSA assignment and working with incredible single women and some of them culturally, I remember you know, you you know these stories better than I do. Just culturally, um, as as I and I'm going back to when I was single, as I was dating and pursuing a career, there was no sort of tension there. Like, am I gonna am I gonna pursue a career and get married? Those yeah. And I recognized for the I was in an MBA program and there were single women in the program and there was cultural sort of headwinds. Like, are you going to continue to do your career once you get married? And they had to sort of manage that complicated issue that culturally came in their life, not doctrinally, where expectations are boxed. And I kind of mourned for them a little bit and just recognized I didn't have to face that. And you certainly and know grieving. that. You certainly know this really yeah. well. And and my husband and I have served in in YSA awards as well, but there's a grieving process for women, especially as they get older, that grieving of I thought everything was going to be this way or that way. And, and that judging, I I've talked to so many women recently that, that are married, but hadn't two of them probably in the last couple of weeks who were struggling to get pregnant and the judgments of assuming because they had a career that they were not doing what heavenly father wanted them to do by having children. Um, it, it, it can be really challenging. I wanted to tell you kind of what was in my box and in, in my new book, I, <clears throat> I divulged that. And, um, and I think some of my things are, are common, but when your box is, and this, this is really based on, you know, the YSA experience sometimes. Um, so in that box, a good, so I put in my quote marks up here with my fingers, a good Latter-day Saint woman. The first thing at the top of my list is married. That's what we think about. But at the last conference, I mean, there's so many women that are not married, whether divorce or don't even get married from the, the beginning. But when that's in our, so I'll, let me give you the list first. So I don't have it in front of me, but married, have children. Your children are active and they look a certain way, right? 
You drive a minivan. That's my funnest one. (laughs) You love crafts and cooking. You love to be a nursery with children. (laughs) You, you know, I could go on and on, but those were the things that now, now why they're so dangerous and some of those were dangerous to me and some of them are still haunting me because I have, I was married. I am married. I have children, but my children are in their, a couple of them in their late twenties, a couple of them in early thirties. And I have watched one by one leave the church. Wow. Thanks for being honest. And, um, and it, is heartbreaking when you've read scriptures, when you've done the family home evenings, when you've tried. And for women, women feel it so much harsher than men because we, uh, when there's blame, women bring it in. Um, when there's positive things, we push it out. Oh, they did it. We're socialized to say, I'm not good enough. I didn't do that. But when there's positive things. You did great on this. We pushed out. Men often do the opposite. So when there's bad, they're like, oh, you know, it's external. The blame is external. When it's good, they bring it in. So we're socialized. Even with a bunch of brothers, I was socialized. But man, did I beat myself up for years. And, uh, you know, we pray a lot and and we have to have the faith, but it's rough. And I think these days, Richard, oh my gosh. you don't often see a family that doesn't have struggles with their children. And so somehow as sisters in this church, um, we've got to figure out how to not do that because what it does is it's a waste of time. First of all, when you beat yourself up, it doesn't do good things. I mean, the research that I've read and conducted for years said the best thing we can do is have self-compassion and we can love ourselves. And that's hard sometimes when you don't think you're living in the box. So the box can actually, we judge ourselves by that box and then we judge other people by, in you know, so why doesn't she like crafts or why doesn't she have children or... Um, so and that's a tricky, don't you think in your own work and your own conversations on podcasts, that's, that's something that can get us into trouble. And I believe that's something that pulls us from being Christ-like judging is not Christ-like. Yeah. I'm just nodding my head up and down just as <laughs> yes, you're, I, I, hope, you. <laughs> I wish there's, this is just, um, very much agreeing and Thanks for being pretty vulnerable with your own situational depression. Um, you know this as well as I do. Vulnerability breeds vulnerability. I didn't learn that until Brene Brown taught me that. And thanks for being vulnerable with just adult children that aren't fully participating in the church or have left the church. And I think when we're honest like that, then people in our circle can open up to us about the realities of their life. And I'm sure you have a lot of people in your circle that know you're a safe person and can talk to you about what's going on in their life. And those are, and that's improving our culture to talk. If you would talk to other parents listening that have have children that aren't fully participating in the church, what would you say to them? You've kind of said some things already that are very helpful, but as you know, there's a lot of pain and there's a lot of inward reflection. This is my fault. I didn't do 
enough. I didn't, if I just followed the formula a little closer, everything would be perfect. Yeah. You know what? I, to, to be honest, I don't have all the answers. I'm in the middle of, of another child that has been faithful through the years that has um, lost. I think, I think um, he doesn't believe in God anymore because I think he felt like God didn't love him. And how could a God not love you? So, um, so I'm searching, I'm searching to understand the difference uh, between unconditional love where they can say or do anything around you, (laughs) but that doesn't feel right to me um, to God's love where you, you really love everyone, but that doesn't mean it's totally unconditional because you don't get blessings if you're not doing certain things. So you don't get to, I don't don't know, I'm wrestling with all that. I have gone through some of this for 10 years with a few different kids and, and I'm just getting to a place where I don't get teary-eyed all the time. Um, I, I, about a couple of years ago, I, I, um, I um, had a, a really great experience in the temple and what's kept me going, you just continue no matter what to hang on to the rock. And, and no matter if things are confusing, sometimes you just stay with that rock solid testimony. And every time with my youngest, um, he really struggled with some things. And uh, every time I heard a farewell talk on a mission, that uh, was someone his age, I would just, be, I was sad going to church. I have to say for probably a year and a half, every, almost every week, I was just sad. And I was tired of feeling that way. I didn't know how to do it. And I was in the temple um, one time waiting to, to go and, and do some temple work. Um, and I had the scriptures open and um, I just, I had, I love Doctrine and Covenant 6. That is my favorite section. I've had spiritual experiences with many verses in that. And one of the verses talks about God's arms. And I was reading that and, and just praying. It had been on my mind. I said, I need to, I need to lift. I need you to help me with this. I'm tired of feeling this way. And I will tell you, I read that scripture. And I felt physically his arms around me. I mean, it was that strong. And then I just felt this weight lifted off my shoulders. It was, it was a physical thing. I, mean, it was, I know it was in my mind, but there's, there was something that felt physical. And, it's, and I heard, you know, within my mind, um, I'm going to take this now. I'm going to take this weight and um, that, and not that it's perfectly, everything is still hard with my kids. Everything, other things are great, but the Lord has to keep you humble um, in certain ways. And, but that, that moment changed me that, that he, I will let him have that. And I will do my best to just do God's work and do the, the, and listen to that, that inspiration and find the callings with an S I am called to mother, but I'm also called to do other things and just 
put all my effort into that and, and receive personal revelation and just have faith, right? Have faith and not mess around with this blame. I did that for too many years. I just don't want to mess around. That's a waste of time. I mean, you and I, Richard, are getting older. <laughs> we only have certain numbers of years left and we need to use it in positive ways and guilt and, and shame on things, those kinds of things who are self-imposed. Some of that is self-imposed. I just have come to the conclusion that's not healthy and helpful. Um, in terms of preparing ourselves and, and listening to the spirit and doing the work that God needs us to do. Every single one of us are made so differently. And I truly believe we each have callings that only we can do. And um, so a little more vulnerability. I'm feeling vulnerable right now. <laughs> this is the right podcast for that. <laughs> <laughs> That's a really helpful segment, Susan. And um, just, on behalf of our listeners, thank you for just being honest. And a lot of people need to hear the hope that you have in your story that you have you felt and then and reading that scripture and being where you are and the burden being lifted from you. And it's a real burden, you know, that yeah. and I think sometimes culturally we we look around and if there's a family that has some children that have left, we want to create a backstory in our mind that keeps us emotionally safe. Well, that's because dad traveled a lot or because of these things that would be never happened to us, we're going to be able. And so then I don't, I think that's a, a really bad way to help minister to each other because we just spend all our mental energy trying to explain their experience away versus yeah. just loving people and recognizing that um, we certainly know of the scriptures of incredible prophet, you know, in our scriptures that have children that aren't, Fully participating in the church use that same language and we know where they stand with God and their ministry. So let's expend, extend that same grace and courtesy to ourselves. Like you're saying, I probably do agree women internalize this more than men and to each other. And and church, I think it's you're honest with mission farewells were hard. And I think now of some of the people in my own congregation were going to missionary farewells where their son or daughter wasn't going, particularly their sons, because there's more expectation. And what could I to sort of recognize this might be a painful day for them and help them feel um, love and support. So that's what else has been helpful. Uh, What else has been helpful for me is through the work I do, and I do a lot of paid work. I do a lot of service work. It's all in the area of women's leadership and women's issues. And and I do lots of global work as well. I'm able to give firesides. I've given firesides in in different countries over in Europe. And and I love that um, to connect with with women um, in parliaments and different things. But one thing that I started a number of years ago, and this has helped me, deciding that I needed to learn more about unconscious bias. And I studied for years before I started teaching unconscious bias workshops. I knew that a lot of unconscious bias was not effective, the workshops. So I wanted to find the ways that did. So I really read books. I've attended week-long workshops by some of the top in the world. And, you know, that's actually really helped me understand how our brains work, how we are really all incredibly biased people. And much of it, you know, some of it is outward bias and we experience that, but 
but we all have biases. And most of what we do, our brains just make assumptions and move and we don't think we are, but we are. I think that whole, I don't know, you may not see that connection, but for me, understanding that, how my brain works, how I think, you know, the more that we learn, the more that we have power over our decisions are even some unconscious decisions. And I think that leads to being better people. I love that unconscious bias. And I, I'm, you know, I've just talked about some of the learning I've done and I'm certainly not at the finish line, but I recognize that I've had much of that in my life and I probably still have much of that. And I've learned listening to people outside of my normal circle is often helps me to see these blind spots or Here's a kind of a question for you. If you if I were still in my YSA assignment, I called you and I said, Susan, I want to improve the experience for the single women in my ward. And I have unconscious bias that I probably <laughs> am not aware of. And I don't want to add to somebody's burdens or mute or create a box. And what would and I just phoned you, you know, early in my assignment. I want to make the experience better. What advice would you give to me? That's you speaking to any local leader or or perhaps any father, any church leader that just wants to improve the experience for women in church? I think one of the best things to do is push yourself in terms of really learning a lot more about unconscious bias. Um, uh, you know, generally, I, I don't do one hour things anymore. I do three hours. I, I mean, it, it's like you've got to talk, you've got to wrestle with it, you've got to figure it out. And, and we all have it. So let's not feel Let's not shame each other, or judge each other. Let's just go from where we're at. So I really think uh, in the work that I've done that that's really the basics. And then you can have these amazing conversations once everybody in your leadership team, your bishopric, your council, you know, are kind of all on the same page. But but um, I, I don't know. That's that's not possible for some people. But I I would do that. I would also seriously. I mean, I'm not big, but I will a little bit pitch my book, but I'll tell you some of my best thinking came in this book. book. Okay. Some of my, and, and I felt very inspired. I have to say with this book, I have been so busy. I start at three in the mornings, um, usually to just get through hours of email and different things, but I feel so called to do what I'm doing that it's, it's worth it. Uh, however, I kept putting this off and I knew I wasn't going to write any more scholarly books. I really felt like I had closed the book on that. But to Cedar Fort Publishing, um, there were some folks there that really wanted this book. And so I decided I was so busy and then decided I was going to try in March. So in March, I just started blocking out pieces of my time early in the morning. And I thought it would take me at least three or four months and I had the whole book done in seven and a half weeks wow. and it flowed. And that was with a really busy schedule. I just had chunks of time enough that I could write two chapters a week, one on the weekends, one I try and fit during the day. And I loved the length of the chapters um, for us writers. The scholarly things are pretty long. And I'm like, this is nice. Um, but I'll tell you, it it really sets you up for understanding so many things. And one of the most powerful things that I've, for years, I've been collecting church leaders' comments, their 
on, on the role of women in terms of using their voice in the community and all of those things that often we don't talk about. And, and so for, and for, for many years, I've been doing some firesides when I'm asked some stake firesides or some different, different things like that. And so I've used these quotes. But when I got into, I really felt inspired that the first chapter needed to be, it's titled, God Needs You. And bring together all of the quotes um, that I've done. And so I really start the book by doing that, but then also describing what leadership is. Well, let me, let me stop. I want to tell you a series, a little bit of three quotes that I use often. Please go for it. So one of them is 2015, our prophet, before he was a prophet, just, just right before he had that beautiful talk, a, a plea to my sisters, a, a, a plea to the sisters. And he said in that talk that women of this time, of this generation, are distinct from women of any other time and generation right now, even five years ago in my mind, or tw- 10 years ago, or 20 years ago. So I'm kind of bringing back that box context, okay? But women right now are distinct, they're different. And that comes with responsibilities. So think about that. And then in 2014, Bednar said, we can't keep doing things the same way we've been doing them. And then I love Sherry Dew's quote from her her book, Women and the Priesthood. The moment we learn to unleash covenant-keeping committed sisters in this church, this is not word for word, the church will change overnight. So those three, think about that. So think about women right now are distinct from women of any other time. So we can't say we should be doing things that women did 20 years ago. It might look different. That's why personal revelation is so important. And then we can't keep doing things the same way. And we can't. I mean, things have changed. We've seen that. And then uh, women, we need to unleash good, committed, covenant-keeping women. And I really, too, I use that combination. I have that in my book, but I really do believe that we can't just say this is what my life is going to look like because my mother did it this way. We have to prepare for a future that only God can see for us, but a future only God can see. Who knew that the pandemic was going to be honest for, it'll be honest for more than two years. I don't, I'm hoping it passes and things are all different. So only God really knows us and our minds and what he's prepared for us, but he knows the future. And we may, I hope this all makes sense. We have to be prepared for you know, a lot of times I'll just say that a lot of times you'll find workshops for women on how to say no better. But I actually say the opposite. The most beautiful times are when you are prepared, you've done your education, you've studied, you've, you've developed skills, your confidence in how to speak and listen and all these wonderful skills so that when you have an opportunity then you can say yes to do the work that God needs you to have been prepared for. And that to me is powerful. So I'm a little off, but that's, that's a little bit about the, the front part of the book. Um, and then I'll, I'll just stop, stop. I'll just say a couple more things, but then I describe leadership. 
So, so many women in the church have come to me through the years and said, I want to be a leader and I'm not. I'm like, hmm, didn't you just do a ward event for 200 people? Is that not leadership? Do you, don't you have three teenagers, teenagers in your home right now? Is that not leadership? So leadership is, is influencing people towards a goal, right? So we're prepared as women in this church to do what God needs us in ways that may be different than women in the church have ever done throughout all time. And, uh, and my call will not be the same as another woman. Um, we're all different. So, um, yeah, I'll just stop that. there. Cause you have, I, I need to let you back in Richard. <laughs> well, my style is to kind of keep my guests talking, to be honest, because oh, they, they could listen to me if they want to. And just that <laughs> I love everything you said. I love what you said. Um, something sort of like, you don't necessarily need to be your mother. Um, there's wonderful attributes to your mother than things you've learned, but you may have a different path. And I think um, I've certainly seen that with our daughters is um, them being sensitive enough to their personal revelation to do things a little different. And I love then the tie with President Nelson's talk about this generation and about the women of the church and the role of the women of the church. And sometimes I think they get it more than the men. I'm a little critical of the men sometimes, to be honest, because I think we we sometimes want to put a box around women in our lives um, as dads, as husbands, as local leaders. And sometimes they won't, we clip their wings or don't give them the confidence they need to do the kind of things that President Nelson's inviting them to do and our heavenly parents are kind of inspiring them to do. And I don't know if you want to address that, but I think some of the cultural challenges is men that need to do a better job of seeing women differently than they've seen them in the past. Absolutely. And, and um, like I said, I have six brothers. One of them was a bishop. He's 10 years younger than me. He just got released from being in a state president for eight years. So he he's, was young at that. But he was such a good example of ways to do it. He would challenge the handbook. He would call Salt Lake and said, okay, cool. this is, you know, this is not in the handbook. What is, and they'd give him and he's like, okay, I'm going to do, I'm going to call the bishop's wife to be welfare specialists so they can be talking with their husbands about very cool. specific things. Or you know, when he he would sit down with the, the new presidency of the young women in the stake and say, and just close his mouth and say, what are you being inspired to do? And let me know what I need to do. I'm not going to tell you what to do, you know, or or doing something else. So there are. It's fascinating um, to look at the difference between men who decide that are in those important leadership roles in the church, who decide to get out of the box themselves and say, you know, maybe this has been done, but maybe a woman can be in this calling or maybe this could or maybe, you know, whatever it is. And that. Uh, I'll just tell you, uh, I'm going to tell you a little bit of a negative experience. So we do my that. husband and I. We do that I, on this podcast. When we know better, we do better. Been, <laughs> yes. You and I have been um, talking about YSA. So my husband was in YSA. I think we've been back for at least five years. So he he and I, and I, I tried to be supportive um, and 
and um, but what happened in those wards and and there was an exception. The first bishop we were in there with, my husband was a counselor on the or on the, you know, working within the ward. The first bishop just at the end, he finally got it. But and then a new bishop was put in. But both times I asked for things to do. I wanted to help. I wanted a calling. I wanted to engage. But they didn't want the the wives of the counselors to do anything. Wow. And in, in fact, the second bishopric, the wife of the bishop pretty much told me and the other counselor to shut up wow. in Release Society and make no comments because that was not our role. And so other than about an eight month where they finally unleashed me, I'm like, the Lord, this is not the Lord's plan, because unless every single young adult is active, they should want my help. I can do things. I can speak. I mean, look on the Internet. I have lots of things. I have some capabilities. Yet they could not see beyond this controlling thing and let me. I mean, I weeped so many times and they, and they, my husband would say, well, just go behind their backs and do things. <laughs> I'm like, no, I want a calling. I mean, give me a calling. Give me a chance to really help guide and work and listen to these. Um, so that made me sad. Um, yet I have examples of the opposite where, where a good bishop that gets it, I call it gets it, or is on the path for understand, trying to get it. And that's what a lot of male allies are trying to do, um, um, can really unleash this goodness and potential. Don't we all have work to do? And we can use everybody. We can use everybody. But uh, so sorry about the negative example, but, but okay. it broke my heart that I couldn't impact the lives the way that I think God wanted me to because I was held back by by um, brethren, honestly, that get it. I'm that that didn't that couldn't see beyond the cultural things, not the doctrine. I mean, the doctrine and culture are different, right? Um, and for women, they're different. Uh, they're quite different. Uh, but as we move forward, don't we need every boy and every man and every woman and every girl to feel unleashed to do God's work in the way that God is telling them that they need to? Those are great experiences. And I just, you know, I appreciate being honest. And um, as we both know, I mean, you have a kind of a foundation in the church to navigate that, but our younger millennial women who are wired mm -hmm. to see your kind of, um, you have a millennial spirit, if I can say that. In a, <laughs> I love it. And <laughs> whatever age group we're in, I'm always confused if I'm a baby boomer, but, um, but you have a millennial spirit. Um, you're wired. It, if that's okay for me to say that, to I be, love it to be very connected with the younger member, younger members of our church and have probably worldviews and feelings and roles of women that align very much. And that group often doesn't have sort of the experience to deal with some of the things you've had to navigate. And we lose really good people in that age group, as we both know. And, and so I like looking at how we can do better and, and magnify women's voices. I think of one heart and one mind. Um, that beautiful scripture, but that means that the one heart represents not just a male heart, it represents the whole entire congregation heart 
And one mind doesn't mean we all feel the same about everything, but we're all at the same goal to come into Christ and bring others with us. So we're using everybody's voices in the congregation. And I don't want to make this podcast about me, but one training I went to, um, so this wasn't my idea, listeners, but the training was simply to ask the sisters for input on brothers' quote-unquote issues. So I remember one day asking the Relief Society president, we were talking about Neller's Corm issue, and she naturally wouldn't volunteer anything. And I said, tell, what are your opinions about this issue? She was a little stunned, but she had incredible insights into what would, quote, be a men's issue. And I just think ward councils can be a situation yeah. where all voices are equally valued, even if it's the camp director chiming in on a high priest. We don't have high priests anymore. <laughs> she may have. And that's counseling together. And so your voice and your, and then, and sort of recognizing your, um, your education background, all the gifts you bring from your professional life that can help us become on one heart, one mind, because your unique worldview and unique understanding. And, and in you, and I'm speaking for younger millennial women that sometimes have these incredible careers. And then they come to church and in every other circle, they're sort of, valued and listened to and understood and sought after and then they come to church and it's just yeah. the opposite experience and it's very difficult for them and in, you know one of my chapters as well in the first part of my book so so i talked about the one god needs you but also what does leadership look like and where where can you find it you know it's in the home it's in the community you could should run for office you know we talk about that but then i moved to some of the research and what you said is Good. exactly based on research whether you know it or not richard and that is uh the research about um women's leadership and when men and women lead together and and other kinds of diversity you throw you can throw in you know not not all of the the benefits go for all of these audiences but some of them but diversity in race and ethnicity as well as gender uh sexual orientation other kinds of things like that um you do get different perspectives so i deal mostly with gender and some race and ethnicity but it's absolutely true that we're socialized different from the start and we're made different and our brains are even when you get into the neuroscience is fascinating but women and men for instance i'll just give you one quick example states with more women in their state legislatures absolutely allocate money differently than states like utah with less women so women tend to have priorities that are different than men's and we need men's and women's. And those are number one, K through 12 education, number two, healthcare for their families, and then social issues, poverty, homelessness, more resources for women and, and folks who have been through domestic violence, mostly women, but sometimes men and sexual assault and those things. States that have more women do Things like that in public policy deal with childcare issues and those things. So, and that moves over. And we know when men and women work together, there's more innovation, more creativity, better problem solving, more collective intelligence. You can tell I've written about this a million times, but it, it applies in the church as well. So I'm glad to see the changes in the past years and, and even opportunities. I have, I, I have a, my heart has, I have a warm place. I don't know what this, it's getting later in the day. So, um, but I have a soft place, of course, for, for sister missionaries. I've served a mission. I taught at the missionary training center 
after my mission and I've done research around sister missionaries and and I I don't know. I just think all of these things are just so important for um women to understand all all the ages you've talked about and and men to understand that you know when you have men and women together the best thing is men and women working together not not separate especially on complex issues right so there's times to work together but uh separately but working together i think more and more on really good and i'll call it even this is a even though it's a business word a strategic issue we have strategic issues in the church right um so I wanted to, to just finish. I, we're having such a good conversation, but I wanted to just give folks a little bit. Um, so I have that first section I talked about and the leadership opportunities around us. But let me just read the, the topics on uh, in my next part of my book. So my next part is how do you prepare to lead? Have chapters on confidence. Such an interesting thing. On finding and discovering your gifts, talents, and strengths. That's a be- beautiful thing. On mindsets, fixed mindset, uh, growth mindset, forgiveness mindset, um, um, on education, the importance of education, on calling and purpose. That is really, really important for women. Women, about 30% more than men, 30 to 40%. When we look at not religious research, um, some in religious settings, but 30 to 40%. We'll step up, we'll lean in, we'll be leaders if we feel called or heard that purpose. And I speak, I've spoke about calling. I've, I flew over a couple of years ago to Athens, Greece for just two days to speak to 200 women business leaders. And, I, and they're not religious at all. And I talked about calling and they can't, it can be from God. For me, of course, it's from God. But people that are not religious can feel called that they're made somehow to do certain things. And, um, and women, if we feel called, we're going to do it more. So I, I implement that. And then the last piece in that second part is identity. So boys are socialized much more often to see themselves as future leaders than girls. And the same thing for young women and young men and men and women. So that's, I, I, those are elements that through all my decades of researching this, I felt were most important. And then I hit four chapters on challenges. I could have you guess, but the four main sections, uh, social media, body image, mental health, and I have a chapter on mixed messages <laughs> that might intrigue you. And then, of course, I end, I end with a couple of chapters, one, of course, on personal revelation. And I get pretty specific on, on for me, how it feels and even, even how I really use the stupor of thought very strategically. And then uh, my last chapter is The Road Less Traveled. So I just wanted to get through, give people uh, kind of a taste of that. All of that comes from academic research, but I there's threads of things in the church and, and church leaders and scriptures that relate to all of those things as, as well. So I think more and more, um, you know, fathers, um, and mothers and and girls and you know these things are going to be important more and more as we move forward because we as women 
we don't have the confidence. We don't have the aspirations sometimes because we've been taught, no, yours is a private role. The men's is a public role. They need to speak. You're not supposed to do this. You're, I hate that supposed to. You're we judge each other, but I, I do push back on that and say, how do we know, especially women, sometimes we judge each other as women, right? And I say, how do we know what's in someone else's patriarchal blessing? How do we know what God is telling someone else? Let's just do our best ourselves um, to do what God needs us to do by listening to personal revelation from him to us. This is a great book. You haven't read it yet, but I hope you like it. <laughs> um, thoughts came to mind, listeners. Some families, you know, have a book club in the family and they read a book and then come forward to discuss it. And I think this would be a great book. I, I would encourage men to read this. I will read this yeah. book because I want to be a better ally to women. And to be a better ally, sometimes I need to read a book like this that'll sort of, even though that's not, I think, your primary audience. I think it's a really good audience to sort of see unconscious bias that I might have yeah. through your research. You've kind of have this wonderful mix of skills that come together to make your life mission in this space possible with your academic work and um, your work in the state of Utah um, and your work as a mother and as an LDS person and making your own personal story where there wasn't really... <laughs> Yeah. Anybody further down the road like you to sort of give you vision? And um, when I was, I, I wanted to say real quick before I forgot, you know, I did have, I was in Minnesota at the time. I, I had four kids and I was getting my doctorate. And I had a couple that's sisters. That's just like cool what you just said. I mean, that <laughs> oh, no, is so no. cool. <laughs> but in I had Minnesota a couple... <laughs> with four kids getting your doctorate. That's awesome. I loved it. But, um, I had a couple sisters in that ward. See, and I'm, I'm, let me just picture this one sister. Twice she came up to me and said, How can you, or why would you be doing your doctoral work with four kids? You're ignoring your kids. I mean, why would you do this? And after she did it the second time, I just remember leaning into her, got close to her face, and I said, Because God told me to. He told me to go to school. He told me, it was in my patriarchal blessing. It was, I didn't know why I was going to school. I didn't realize what it was going to lead to, but I knew the next step. And my heart wanted to do what Heavenly Father wanted me. And, and it was to prepare for this life that, and I don't know what that is. Sometimes we want to have all the answers up front before we take a step. And that's not how it works. We move. We take one step in front of another. And, and sometimes when I have a decision, I could go two different ways. I, I maybe step one way and then I get a stupor. And then I step back and go the other way, you know. Um, but I don't know. It, it's, it's such, people can judge you sometimes, but but it's so important to make sure your decisions and your life are aligned with God's. I love your and answer. And that future only God can see for you because we don't, I didn't, I'm really doing some things I never thought I would do, 
But because I followed the path, I knew I was supposed to speak to and and do the some of the things I was I was um, I've done. But you just say, okay, I'm going to continue to go to school between a couple of kids or at the end or whatever, whatever to to prepare for that life. And then uh, when you are prepared and get to be a little bit older like me, it's humbling to look back. And even though I fought some pieces of it, to see that that God had guided everything and I learned what I needed to. And that's what I'm trying to do with my kids like right now, you know, like I need to learn this because I'll be vulnerable with people that a lot of people won't be vulnerable with because I, I just am built that way to, to be okay. If people judge me right now, Um, but it's worth that risk because there's more people that need to hear that, uh, you know, women who might on paper have this big Vita, right? So that I've spoken at this or that, and I've done work at this or that, um, struggle with those things too. It brings brings uh, connection with people. It brings hope sometimes uh, when I, you know, anyway, a little bit of rambling again there, Richard, but I, I appreciate, you know, I love talking to you. You've got such a great style uh, asking questions and listening and and your listeners can't uh, see you smiling and nodding. So I appreciate that too. Well, Dr. Susan Madsen, I loved having you on the podcast. I know you've got a re- another radio interview. I just, I'm a little, I love what you said to that sister in the ward. Um, I think we give defensive answers that are sort of, you know, but you gave a confident, positive answer that's sort of indisputable. <laughs> I and I love, I think that role models, that answer is role models how we should handle answers about the personal revelation we're receiving in our lives and just own it and be confident about it. And versus maybe culturally trying to be defensive and, oh, you're right, or I, in, so I think that was a gold nugget in this really wonderful podcast. So listeners, please go, we'll link to this book when I post it on social media and in the show podcast description, A Future Only God Can See For You, A Guide to Teen and Adult Women on Preparing to Lead. What a great title. And, and, and um, Richard, I do have a, a workbook good. that's going to come out in January that is aligned for personal use or with young women or young single adults for activities that just guide and ask questions and provide activities. Yeah. So I, you know, young women's leaders, young men's leaders, I, I'm kind of trying to move this into both spaces. <laughs> just, I think there's principles here that apply to the whole church and, and to parents as they're trying to help nurture their children to sort of do create, sort of take advantage of the full measure of their creation. So thank you very much, Dr. Susan Madsen, your gift to so many circles and doing so much great work. And um, this is Richard Osler and Susan Madsen signing off on another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love. Thank you. Mm -hmm.